Have you ever had a boss, a manager, a director that always seems so grumpy, doesn't socialize very much with anyone from your team, and a result of that brings a sense of toxicity into your working environment? Well, have you also thought about how they might be going through a lot of personal issues, struggling with mental health, physical health, and therefore affecting their way of work and leadership? I haven't really heard this conversation before, I haven't really had this conversation before, so now I am ready to have this conversation with Michael Edward Stevens. This is The Hustle Guide. Hey everyone, this is Oktai, the host of the Hustle Guy podcast. Before we start today's show, I just wanted to mention a trigger warning for this episode. In my interview today with Michael, we will be discussing depression, eating disorders, and substance abuse. If you're struggling with any of those and your mental health as well, please look into the available free support that is recommended on nhs.uk. Let's go for it. I have yeah. so many questions for you, by the way, and I'm so <laughs> excited for you to be here. Today uh, on the Hustle Guy podcast, we have Michael Edward Stevenson. Stevens. Stevens. I'm sorry. Oh my God. I always mess it up. If you see my Google search, it's always like Edwards. And then it was like, no, it's only Edward. Michael Edward Stevens. Yeah. Uh, fabulous name, by the way. I don't blame you that you're using the full name. Very British. It's a brand. So Michael, welcome to the Hustle Guy podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. I've wanted you for a very long time here. I've spoken with other people to arrange this as well. They've helped me arrange this. You're a very busy man. People probably do know you if they do follow anything when it comes to freelance mental health lgbt related issues and topics but um i kind of want to give you a little bit of a freedom to introduce yourself as well so do you want to introduce yourself sure so i guess my name is michael by profession i i'm a bit of an entrepreneur actually now i guess but would class myself as a kind of well-being and mental health advocate so essentially i promote the importance of just discussing mental health and prioritizing well-being and I do that through my own channels, but I also do it through partnerships with businesses and through my, my company, Create Space, where I organize bespoke uh, well-being retreats and workshops, um, both in person and online. But yeah, it's, it's, I've been on um, a kind of a, quite a strange career path. Um, I haven't always kind of found myself working within this sector. Um, I'm sure you kind of want to ask about that. But oh, yeah. we're gonna go, we're gonna go into this <laughs> because Michael's career path is quite impressive. He has been described as 30 under 30 material. When I was reading about you online, by the way, anybody, anybody who's listening curious and if they want to Google Michael, you're literally just a click away for his great story. He's been very transparent about his whole journey, which is absolutely amazing. There's um, some dodgy stuff out there as well. Oh, is there? <laughs> oh, I haven't been on that side of the internet. <laughs> I, well, no, I remember when I first discovered blogging um, and also I used to do all these kind of like photographs of me in different outfits for fashion Ooh. blogs. Uh, but now looking back on it, <laughs> they're actually questionable. Were you a Tumblr? <laughs> were you a Tumblr kid type of thing? It was probably before the time of Tumblr, wasn't it? <laughs> it okay. Was, uh, so when I was reading about you, I kind of have this I, I had a very different concept of what this interview was going to be about. But when I started reading about you, all of a sudden, these kind of three different points came to my mind that I really wanted to touch upon. And they were basically where we were, where are we now, and where are we going? Because I think that's very 
much related to your journey. And even if you still haven't experienced fully those different time bubbles, I want to go back to when you were around 18, maybe a little bit younger as well. What did the very young Michael wanted to do when you were younger? Well, Michael Edward Stevens, my initials M-E-S, mess. And I think I've always been a bit of a mess, to be honest, like especially at 18, 19 years old. I was um, just about to go to university. I was still in the closet. That was... I think it was probably one of the the hardest points because I think it was so brimming at the surface and it was requiring a lot of energy for me to suppress that. And I remember being quite, I was actually just really struggling and drinking a lot. I was going out every night, which I know a lot of people do at that age, but I mean, I was blacking out most nights. Was also kind of coming into what I now know to be kind of a, a, an eating disorder. I had lost quite a lot of weight when I was 16, overeaten from about eight, nine years old from using food as a coping mechanism to then discovering that actually not eating gave me the same psychological kind of gratification. And then coupled with kind of exercise, you know, going out, it was a, a kind of a lethal combination, to be honest. And Quite then, grueling on your body, I would presume. Yeah, one yeah. that I'm probably still paying for right now, to be honest. Yeah, that, that kind of continued for about 10 years. A lot of functioning addicts, you just get very good at hiding it and... I, yeah, was was kind of high performing and so wasn't questioned really. I was not only seemingly kind of managing everything in my life, but also, you know, doing well. So who, who were people to question? It's, I guess now a lot more talked about, but I didn't know anyone else with an eating disorder. I didn't even kind of really understand it myself. Yeah, about 18, 19, I was at university studying fine art, French, Spanish, and Portuguese. And you went to University of Newcastle, if I've made right. Yeah, I did an art foundation first um, Mm. at my local university. Um, In the UK, it's free to do uh, Mm. a foundation course locally. And a few of my best friends were going there, which, you know, it was a great thing to have this almost stepping stone experience to university because it was local. So I met a lot of people from kind of out of town who were there doing their their degree and I got to kind of have a bit of the uni uni life but I also had the home comforts as well um my mum was also a lecturer at the university oh god slightly inhibited you know me fully engaging with the university experience um but it was I guess difficult for me to fully become someone else because I was still quite tied to people at at that university whether it was friends my family just so when you left because you went to no, I didn't so then I went to Newcastle afterwards Newcastle, yes <laughs> I went right up to uh the, the north of England and that was where I did my my degree that was kind of where I decided that you know I I, I didn't want to be I guess this other person that I had so have you come out when you went to university or were you still at 19, kind of close. yeah. Yeah, you were, you had come out at this point. Yeah, it just happened, like, I met this girl, and we were kind of getting on really well, and then we went on a night out, and then she tried to kiss me, and I said, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm not <laughs> into that. And, you know, thank God we did, because she's my best friend now. Oh, and that's nice. we, yeah, we met on the first day, and we, yeah, became 
best friends. So that was kind of the point when I decided, no, I'm going to start this differently, this, this path and change. And that was terrifying. <laughs> so what, what was the career path you wanted? What did you want to do? Did you even have an idea? I had no idea at that point because I felt like the kind of career advice that uh, I had when I was younger was um, fairly basic. And, you know, I also, I went to a, a grammar school. So our kind of curriculum was fairly traditional, especially within the kind of fine art world. I, I was the first ever student to use photography within my practice there because they were so kind of focused on painting and drawing. I'd got two older brothers who were graphic designers and they had mm. Mac computers at home and I was playing on them with the Photoshop. Yeah, I took some of my work to school and my teacher didn't understand it at all. Oh God. She, okay. couldn't, she couldn't work out. <laughs> but bear in mind, this is 2003. Um, okay yeah yeah so it was quite kind of early days I was just obsessed with this idea of kind of being able to change what something looked like and I think you know that's kind of reflective of what was going on for me it, personally as well. it is a bit underlying probably isn't it so was university fun yeah I guess you know it had its benefits in terms of through the program that I was enlisted on I got to spend a year in Paris and that was kind of where I started my journey into fashion really because that was where I got my first internship with a magazine through that I got access to all the fashion shows and then I was doing kind of photography on the side and so I got invited to be a catwalk photographer at Barcelona Fashion Week and how do you get I... invited to be a a catwalk photographer <laughs> how does one get invited <laughs> I don't know how it works now um but uh it's yeah who you know um, okay <laughs> that's what I wanted to hear because I hear stuff I know that I wanted to be a catwalk photographer but you hear stuff like that and people are like so I just got invited and I'm like how the heck did you get invited <laughs> well we my friend and I he's he's a makeup artist and we were both very much starting out in our career and so we didn't really um yeah there was no shame we were just kind of you know out for any invite we could get Absolutely. at that point and it was before the days of blogging so there wasn't the the hordes of people outside shows and stuff as there are now and it was a lot easier to get in <laughs> so, yeah yeah we we were um kind of lucky enough to to kind of mix with the right people and then uh I got yeah invited to Barcelona and got sat next to someone from ID magazine and I had been applying to intern ID for years it's just so happened that this person I got sat next to was the person receiving my applications and never responded but we and so we ended up kind of really getting on and she's now also one of my good friends so. the luck of it all at the moment you're saying to me I'm about to hang up this call and just go somewhere else because that was my next question we jump forward a couple of years later after university early Early 20s you jump immediately into ID magazine which for anybody who doesn't know quite an influential big magazine big media company I remember being obsessed with it when Lady Gaga had a huge cover with it when I was younger in my Tumblr days so when I saw that you worked in ID magazine I was very curious how did you land a job in ID magazine like I said I, I'd been applying for many years and then it, it was a good a combination of you know luck mm. um but also putting myself in the right situations and I think 
I have always been very strategic. There is an element of having a bit of a plan, but at the same time, you know, I still had to very much prove myself. So I started at ID working for free. And I mean, even my first paid position there was, you know, very low paid. Um, I don't think you can even get paid that low anymore uh, legally. So, you know, it it wasn't a case of me just walking into um, uh, the ideal job. I mean, uh, I started as the um, the assistant to the founder and the editor-in-chief. So I was doing all of his kind of creative assistant Mm. kind of work. So I would prepare you know, the magazine for him to view uh, every oh, that time. Book. Came, the book. The yes, book. I was in charge of the book. The book. <laughs> yes. Anybody who knows the book, they would know what we're talking about, the book. Yes. Was it very much that, oh, I'm working in a magazine type of life at the moment? You're like, this is it, the cherry of the cake. Living, I presume, London. This is in London yeah. at this point. Mm. Working in ID magazine. Life is fab. Ooh. It was, yeah. Mm. But I, like I said, I was quite young and easily pleased <laughs> but yeah it was it definitely kind of balanced out that idea of earning quite a little you know but uh getting some bonuses um elsewhere so yeah so how much did you grow into id magazine i mean i was always just asking for more 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 in terms of you know work and projects money sometimes but you know you kind of give up on that after a while and you just kind of want to make it worth your while and i just managed to work hard and be given quite a lot of responsibility and i got to travel quite a lot with them so i organized all the fashion week parties around the world and got to travel accordingly such Um, a fabulous guy right now Look at you. Well, it was quite <laughs> ironic that, you know, not a couple of years earlier, I was trying yeah. to sneak in a party and I was the one organizing. organizing. I was the uh, bitch with a clipboard. <laughs> oh, I love it. I just want to touch upon the fact that you said you did have a strategy and you did have a vision in your mind. Was personal branding important for you around that time? That was probably my desire to be known and that, you know, stems from a, I guess, a a lack of self-worth growing up and this determination to be something and be seen. Um, And this kind of, I guess, idea of creating myself and the image that I'm now, you know, I I became quite obsessed with it, this idea of self-image. And to the point where, you know, I was actually so focused on creating the person that I wanted everyone else to see that I actually didn't have a clue who I really was. It requires a lot of energy to be somebody else. And probably nobody else wanted that from you because people don't want you to be a certain way. Who cares at the end of the day? Who yeah. cares? <laughs> That's kind of how I'm having to look at things now. So, okay. So from here we go, obviously you went between ID and Vice. Then we go in a couple of years to Liberty, which mm-hmm. for those who don't know, a very luxurious store in London, central London. And from here, after that, you go to Virgin Atlantic. And I went to Ted Baker in between then. Actually. And Ted Baker. Yeah. Yes. And both of your last jobs, Ted Baker and Virgin Atlantic, you did hold a very high position as head of creative and graphics. And that is in the spam of eight to 10 years, less than 10 years, isn't it? Yeah. How was that journey? 
Yeah, I mean, I was managing teams of over 20. Um, and at one point, I was the youngest. <laughs> so yes, it was it presented its own challenges in terms of uh, team camaraderie to a certain extent, because I, I was walking into a situation where I was, I was bound to be judged to a certain extent. I've always tried to lead by example. And that has its pros and cons if I'm honest because and I've only just really discovered that in the last couple of years but you know if I wasn't particularly happy with something I would just do it myself and Hmm. uh, be like this is how I want it done and realize like how actually disrespectful and intimidating that is to a team that are just trying to learn. Did you have to have a certain certain degree of how do I say this pushiness and not giving a fuck for you to be so young and go for these very high positions. Any young person who's also capable of having them sometimes might get intimidated. Where do I start with this? So I guess coming back to this idea of self-worth and, you know, from a, a young age, I, I recognized that if I did well at at things so at school or in my exams or accomplishing something then I would get validation from my teachers from my parents and I kind of was using that validation to replace the the love that I thought I was missing for being who I was because I didn't feel as though I could be authentically me because I was hiding my sexuality according to I guess my views of you know, society and um, what, uh, how I thought I would be treated. So for me to get that, that validation, I yeah started putting a lot of emphasis on achievement and success. And that continued into my professional career. As with, you know, uh, any addiction, you need more and more and more. And my addiction was work. So mm. for me, I needed to receive more success. I needed to find, you know, higher position, more money, more recognition. Some of the characteristics that I demonstrated at work, which then became, you know, my leadership characteristics, were in fact my coping mechanisms. So my determination, my, you know, willingness to work all hours of the day. And even on holidays, I would, you know, be working my the inability to actually be phased by stressful situations I would just internalize all of that and just get on with it and I would also be able to very much separate personal and professional so like you said not giving a shit I think Mm. I was able to go in and just get the job done and just be like I actually don't care if I'm going to offend people I just need to I need to impress x y you know those people that i've identified as the ones that can get me to the next stage and fuck the the rest and that is really cutthroat and quite i'm like shocked that i did it and i didn't you know i didn't throw anyone under the bus or anything i gave i was very fair but at the same time i wasn't gonna let anyone get in the way of my plan i had developed this formula in my head which was the more perfect I am, the more success I'm going to receive, the more kind of validation I'm going to get. So I was a perfectionist through and through. And that detail was what got me kind of, you know, promoted quickly because it was appreciated, but at the same time caused a lot of friction with my team because, you know, it was very hard for them to keep up 
with mm. with me. Do you think you would have um, gone to that place if it wasn't for kind of that toxic way of work that you had? Who knows? But mm. I do know that once I realized that that is kind of that's how I got myself into that situation I recognized that I didn't want to continue on that path mm. and that that environment's not going going to be conducive to me recovering because so imagine that by the by this point this is about two ish years ago I was like I just ran out of energy completely I was emotionally physically mentally just exhausted um I'd got lots of kind of physical um symptoms of burnout and I was also I was addicted to Xanax I was just a mess again <laughs> mess 3.0 realized like okay I need to step away from this now I saw some obviously amazing things said about you um, you've been described by your peers and people sitting in higher positions as trend maker super smart Wonderful ambassador for any brand. Someone who has all of the ingredients for success, brains, talent, ability to work across all categories and with all personalities. Obviously, anybody wants to hear that about themselves. My question here, I suppose, is when you heard something like that before and you were in a very much a little bit of oblivious state of mind, do you even enjoy a compliment like that? No, it was already moving on to the next thing. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. What do I need to do next? It, it didn't make it was impact. No, I remember now when I, it was, yeah, it was, it was nice to, to get that, but I, yeah, I was, I didn't fully just enjoy it in that moment. Yeah. Would you enjoy it today? Setting myself slightly different objectives um, right now, currently more in line with how I want to feel by the end of the year. Mm -hmm. and less about what I've accomplished but yeah I think trying to also I know this is a, a cliche but you know enjoy every small kind of achievement um throughout the year as well and yeah I think I'm I'm much more reflective now whereas I I don't really remember even like a lot of that kind of time because it was just so fast-paced and full-on and um yeah I was, yeah, I was just always focused on, I had like a five, 10 year plan and was just focused on that future mm. element. Whereas I don't even have a five or 10 year plan anymore. I'm Good. just, I mean, the pandemic really helped that because yeah. it was like, well, let's just throw that out the window. Exactly. I really want to move forward with my questions, but I just have another question about this because it just came into my mind because I think as a lot of people, not just me, we envision ourselves to go to these head positions. Can we only go there if we, if we just don't look left or right and we just look straight ahead and sometimes we put our mental health on the back burner? Or is there a healthy way to do that? <laughs> so uh, I do think there is a way to get to those positions without putting your your mental health on the line do I think that those examples are out there enough no mm -hmm. I do think that a lot of the habits that I picked up were inherited from those around me and that 
there is work to be done at an organizational level, which is, you know, thankfully kind of coming to life a bit now that a lot of companies put in some some strategies around it, given the, the recent events. So it's difficult because the very nature of those positions means that you are putting yourself in difficult you know, situations. You are going to have to make difficult choices you know I was managing like 180 projects at one time and just that is it's very hard to stay relaxed when you're (laughs) when you're getting like 500 emails a day and you're managing you know team members who are leaving you've got to recruit there's just always a lot going on it really you have to question your motivation for wanting to do it because you know I wasn't even being the most creative at that point uh, because you know I was just I was doing a lot of uh, admin stuff. Project um, management stuff. Just yeah. Absolutely. And if you're working in a big company, you're dealing with a lot of egos as well. So we're going to the where are we now section of mm. this interview. You decide to escape. Did you escape? It's a bit of a weird word, but did you have some kind of an escape route? And in a way, did you have privilege to leave it all? And because mm. I presume you didn't just go to another work, you needed to not work. Did yeah. you have some sort of privilege also not to do that such a thing definitely yeah I mean thank god I had savings because if I didn't have that I wouldn't have been able to to do that at all um yeah I did take a little bit of time off when I was there and I recognized that actually I needed longer and going back like I said it wouldn't it wouldn't have been um possible for me to fully recover so yeah I did have to make the difficult decision to leave which you know ended up being the best decision it was uncertain I guess what was going to happen I knew that I couldn't afford to stay in London so I had to kind of leave my flat that (laughs) you know it's just ironic I'd worked so hard to get this flat and then I had to let it go uh, because I couldn't work I had to leave all of like my friends and just all of my my things uh, which you know on a an individual level seemed like nothing, but then when it's all together, it's like, oh, okay, well, that's just my life that I'm leaving behind then. The whole life that I'd constructed, but also the the life that I'd used to define me, I had to let go of. That was terrifying. <laughs> that, that persona probably crashed to the ground. Suddenly, I, ha- I had no one to, to kind of impress or to... Obviously, I did actually go through this kind of this period of (laughs) grappling, like I was just grappling for anything that I could to try and hold on to aspects of my Mm. identities. Mm. Um, That was quite interesting because it it was almost like just going through all these different um, parts of me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Once I left uh, Virgin, I, I decided to go back to the kind of drawing board and, um, come up with obviously now, it was about how do I also incorporate everything that I've learned as well. And I think it was, it was this, I call it like a, a revelation, but it was like, wow, I actually need to take care of myself in order to, to kind of do my job. I, I didn't realize that. I just thought that would just all happen. Like my body would just survive. Uh, You're like, whoop, I'm a new person. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but um, I'd never prioritized my own mental health ahead of my career. Yeah. So now it became clear like, oh, wow, when you get to these kind of positions, 
it is so important to protect what's actually important to you, which is mm. your, your physical and mental health. And that actually will enable you not only to kind of do your job, but actually enable you to be more creative, be more productive. Please tell me more about uh, We Create Space, because I know what's on social media and things like that. But if you want to introduce it a little bit better, because I know. Uh, so this kind of two companies, there's Create Space, um, which is uh, a, 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 the company that organizes bespoke self-care programs for employees. So we kind of empower employees with with tools and techniques for managing their own health and well-being and we you know we were doing retreats before the pandemic but we've been doing these virtual retreats and workshops since then and then part of one of our programs is called who am i and that's an lgbtq leadership program centered around identity and exploring i guess your 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 own identity but also i guess this idea of how do i be the most authentic version of myself Um, which is what a lot of people, you know, are asking right now. But there's this, I guess, quite contextual relevancy right now, given that we're all, you know, just looking at this screen in front of us most mm. of the day. We're kind of presenting ourselves in a box and the work self and the home self are so entwined. That idea of kind of wearing different masks is is quite relevant right now. And yeah, we've actually put about 250 people through our virtual programs this year. Wow. Um, including kind of global leaders from some pretty big blue chip companies. I'm really excited about because now we're we're kind of taking it global now. Uh, we're doing, we're introducing different time zones and we've got three different identity groups. So yeah, it's, it's going to be a good year for that, I think. And then on the back of that, I set up a nonprofit organization called We Create Space. And that's essentially a, a kind of LGBTQ well-being and empowerment platform. Yeah, I guess our mission there is really to make self-care and self-discovery a priority in the life of each and every queer person. And we, we provide free, free workshops virtually, really successful so far. I would have needed you so much when I mean it's not to say that I, I know right need, I, would, I, was... I wouldn't yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I wouldn't need you in the future but when I was I remember when I was younger and struggling with my sexuality and my experiences and I've had similar experience with you where I would go out and I would be one person and I know the burnout and the exhaustion I know the problem of it and I know the mental health repercussions of it so just having something like you would have been absolutely brilliant. Let's go into the final bit of our conversation of where are we going? Where do you see We Create Space going? Um, so the plan for this year really is just to carry on supporting people through this difficult period. Um, so our focus is purely on virtual experiences this year and working with lots of different uh, collaborators actually, combining creativity with um, self-care and self-discovery. So we've got some workshops coming up this year all around telling your story through different methods of artistic expression. So whether that's through poetry or through drawing or through dance, a script writing workshop where we're going to build out uh, your different personas as characters. So you get to know them a bit better. And it's mm -hmm. just about creating a more playful relationship with this work because it, it can sometimes feel quite heavy, but 
at the end of the day, you're never going to ever know yourself fully. It's mm. it's an ongoing process. So Absolutely. you may as well start to just have some fun with it. And that's what we're trying to do. Just bring a bit of kind of color into the world. Would Michael today go back to the same seat, the same situation, let's say in Virgin, let's say, yeah, you took this time now, you are who you are today. Would you just go back like nothing happened and sit down, but with today's mindset and just continue from where you stopped? Uh, no, I, I don't. Mm. <laughs> well, first of all, I think uh, the whole world has changed. So right now, I mean, I was very fortunate to be working within the kind of publishing, fashion and travel industries at a time when they were at their kind of highest. Yeah. Obviously, no one is... Uh, shopping right now no one's traveling no one's buying magazines it's a very different world right now so uh, I was I probably wouldn't go back into those industries despite me having a real kind of nostalgia towards them I, I, I still yeah. very much you know love fashion I love reading magazine and I can't wait to be traveling again um, but all of that uh, experience has led me to this point so I think I'm excited about creating something new um, and what my unique experience could kind of bring to that anything kind of just going back would would feel regressive it would feel as though I'm not fully utilizing the lived experience that I've had Michael what a journey you've had what an experience. I love it. No, it's things... not over. <laughs> oh, no, that, that, that's the thing. That's the exciting part of it. It's not even over. And I, would just, I would just like to say if anyone would like to reach out for any advice, you can do so um, either. You know, I, I was going to I was going to ask you that. Where can we find you? Where can we find Create Space? Promote as much as you can. <laughs> um, probably best place to start is just Instagram, to be honest. So uh, at wecreatespace.co or myself is at, at Michael Edward Stevens and go from there. Fab. Michael, thank you so much for coming on thank the you Hustle so much. Guide. It was, it was lovely chatting to you. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And anybody, please find Michael, follow him, follow We Create Space. Michael has a beautiful Instagram account, so go and check it out. Uh, thank you so much, Michael, for coming. And I promise once we can go outside, you're going to be one of the first people that I'm going to take out for coffee. Just, yeah. to speak, just to speak to you, not even about work, just to speak to you. So thank you so much, Michael, for coming. Oh, and uh, everybody. Happy hope New Year. <laughs> oh, yeah. Happy New Year, by the way. That, that, that happened as well. Cool. Thank you so much for coming, Michael. This episode of The Hustle Guide was executively produced by Yuktai Asanov and powered by our clubbers CIC.